Welcome, investigator. Evil is on the rise. Crime is escalating. Our mission is to eliminate the crime by exposing evil, examine why it manifests, and highlight the brave souls that confront it every day. Join us as we work together to bring justice to every victim. Welcome to All Things Crime. Here's your host, Jared Bradley. I imagine in the middle of the night, if he you know, wanted to dump her somewhere and he probably pulled over and there weren't any lights from any direction that he could see. And so he probably thought that was a really, really remote place and dumped her there. That's, uh, yeah, but it's pretty, pretty good indication that the fact that the husband, who, you know, you would think would be the most intimate person with uh, the victim, that uh, he would be the one to report her missing. I mean, any kind of a real relationship that would, you know, you would think that would happen for sure with the husband as opposed to, you know, a family member from Mexico. That's, so that's a pretty good indication. But like you said, the, um, uh, the suspect, her husband, uh, committed suicide in 2001. So three years later. Correct. And no indication of why he would have done that. No no indication there. Um, I do know that that occurred in Nevada, the state of Nevada. Um, I believe it was was ruled a suicide. Uh, Ultimately, it was an overdose. Um, But there's no indication, there's no note, uh, no indication of of why, other than than it was determined to be, you know, a a suicide. So, and I, I haven't actually looked at, you know, police reports from that area. I've just seen the death certificate of him. Um, that that's what it was determined to be. So, hmm, interesting. So, 1998. Fast forward 20 years. You finally uh, are able to get her identified. How did how did that happen? So it was it's kind of crazy, actually. You know, we we had kind of hit dead ends on everything, right? We had done. We'd gone back to the evidence, retested things. We did isotope testing, which analyzes the hair of the victim or of an individual, uh, identifies with like the water you're drinking and things you're exposed to that narrow down geographically where you were from or living. Uh, we had, you know, gone obviously to, to NamUs, the missing person database, and kind of explored every way that we could. Uh, one of the things we also explored was the the rope that she was bound with were very unique complex series of knots and in fact we had we've been working with even the FBI in in regard to this case back uh, in I believe it was about 2012 when uh, they started working with with our department now it's before I was involved but they actually suggested and recommended a knot expert uh, who could analyze those particular knots and maybe try to find a, some kind of commonality or, or, or uh, tie to other cases. And uh, so this individual is retired law enforcement, and he was an expert with, you know, with knots. And so, uh, again, the FBI recommended his services to us. So we actually employed him uh, to analyze this rope. So we went down that avenue as well, and that... That actually t- lot tied to some other, uh, not to get too far off in the weeds, but we actually looked at an individual named Scott Kimball as a suspect for a time. 
uh, who was a convicted serial killer serving a sentence in, in Sterling, uh, Colorado for four homicides. Um, there was several indications that, that would have pointed us in his direction, uh, namely his own admissions to a, a global plea agreement where there was a list of uh, victims, you know, murder victims that he was looking at and some of those he was uh, was naming on this you know, of, a, of a list of several people he he probably indicated I don't know six or eight people that he had knowledge of in regarding their death uh, this victim uh, on our case which which became known as the maiden water victim because it was found near the maiden water springs area near Lake Powell um, so Scott Kimball actually you know indicated to put her on the global plea agreement and this is working with authorities in Colorado and the FBI there's other circumstantial things that you know we could have put him in the area about that time frame uh, several other things that tied us to Scott Kimball um, ultimately he was ruled out um, and we even conducted an interview of him uh, out there in prison so we explored a lot of uh, uh, every avenue that we could so we got to that point where once we'd explored all of these avenues we had this photo of the victim and it was a photo that was taken at the medical examiner's office it was not a graphic photo by any means it was just of her face uh, she was deceased in the photo but again it was it was not graphic or gory in any way and we felt like at this point what do we have to lose let's let's release this photo to the public in an attempt to identify her. Uh, so we did a, a press conference here in Utah. This was in October of 2018. This photograph of the victim was released uh, to, the, to the media. And about half the media outlets released the photo, and about half didn't, which is fine. Uh, so what, what occurred was, and obviously our attempt, you know, we're trying to get tips from the public, right? And it, I started getting these tips coming in getting called and I was following them on the tips as they came along well I got a tip from a citizen actually living in California who uh, likes to uh, these uh, cold case type things she likes to get on and, and, and do kind of as a hobby and she had seen our photo and then she was looking in, in NamUs this missing person database that, that's I mean, there's, as law enforcement, we can input information into it, and that there's information that's law enforcement sensitive. There's also stuff that's available to the public in an effort to identify people, missing people, or loved ones. So she had seen, made this connection with our photo, with this photo that Youngstown Police had put in as a missing person from from 1998. But the, so the interesting thing was, initially, when that missing person report was taken in 1998, there was no photograph of the victim to, to put in Nameless at all. But just prior to our media release, there was a detective, this de detective David Sweeney in Youngstown, Ohio, who was working cold cases. And he had looked at this cold case. He's like, well, maybe if we could find a picture of her as the victim of a missing person, we could input that into NamUs. So he got, he got looking into things, and uh, this victim was from Mexico. So he contacted ICE. And... Uh, ICE actually had a photograph of of her from you know like in like immigration photo, uh, and 
and so he'd taken this photograph of the victim from Ohio and the missing person and put it in NamUs. Well, ironically enough, that happened within five days of us releasing this photograph. So after 20 years of, of 20 years later, what's the chances of, of that happening? So uh, whether you want to call that luck or something else. Um, so initially when I got that information, I'm, I'm like, well, why did we never make this connection in NamUs before? But it's because it was brand new, right? Because Young Santa just put that information in thanks to Detective Sweeney. And the connection was made, and what looked really promising was she had a mole in her upper uh, right ear. Uh, we knew that from, from you know, our autopsy here. But it, it, ironically enough, in the ICE photograph from Youngstown, Ohio, you could see the angle from the photograph. They they have her turning her head to you know to the left. You can see that right ear, and you can see the that mole in her upper right earlobe, which uh, is pretty unique, right? So we, we figured we had. It looked really good for for our victim, so but we didn't have still didn't have a way to really confirm it, right? We couldn't use fingerprints, so we had to try to find family members with with DNA. So we are working with Detective Sweeney in Youngstown. They did a media release into uh, to Mexico, well Texas specifically in Mexico, with this photograph of of their victim of this uh, Lena Reyes Gettys. And this photograph went out from there, and a couple days later, we get a phone call from a female in Mexico who only spoke Spanish, saying that, that she thought that was her sister. So make a, a long story short, we're able to communicate with her, and we were quite sure that it was that it was that was Lena. We were quite sure that she was a sister, but we needed to verify it. And that had to be through you know DNA collection of the family and then a comparison to our victim here. Uh, with the help of a lot of people um, here in, in Utah, Youngstown, and even Texas, uh, I was working with an ATF agent. On, we, we did like gun crimes, but he, he had a lot of connections and spoke Spanish, and he was my interpreter with the sister in, in Mexico. We are the make arrangements to collect her DNA in Mexico from a, a U.S. consulate there uh, with, an, again, an ATF agent working in uh, this consulate uh, collected that for us. We we helped make we had to make these arrangements and send money to her, and so she could make these travel this long, long bus ride to this to this U.S. consulate, in Mexico. DNA was collected. It was sent here to us in Utah, and it was compared to our victim's DNA. And they they worked pretty quick. The lab that we utilized here worked pretty quick. Within five days, we had a match. It was in fact we confirmed her identity. So. A lot of things really came together for us. Um, we kind of call it luck or fate or whatever, but uh, those photographs connected it uh, through NamUs, the public. Um, just you know, a good a good tip, and then and then it's collaboration between Utah and Ohio. So that's how she was identified, and again, that's what opened up all these new doors for us. Oh, that's awesome! You know, there's a couple of things that I I, I think are really important that uh, you know. As, as you're describing what, you know, how this victim was identified, which personally, I think there's so many people that, you know, when, whenever anything horrible happens, a lot of times the, the primary focus ends up on the person that did it. And although that's really important to bring people to justice, I, I, I think whenever we lose focus on the victim, then 
I, I think that really does a disservice to not just the victim and the victim's family, but the whole you know community is and society as a whole. Because ultimately, if we keep our focus on the victims, which I know you guys do, and that's one of the things that's unique really with law enforcement is, yeah, you guys always go after the bad guys, but a lot of times the reason you keep going, especially in a case that's 20, 24 years old, is because you 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 know there's a, a victim out there that isn't identified yet, and this victim deserves, you know, didn't deserve to end the way she did, but more importantly, uh, or equally as importantly, she deserves to to be, you know, with her family and be able to be, um, you know, buried with her family. And, and, and I know that was kind of part of it once, once, and, and why don't you um, kind of finish that? Because I, I think that the final ending of, of where Lena is now, I, I think is, is equally important. Absolutely. You're exactly right. Um, so, as you can imagine, once the family in Mexico realized, you know, for 20 years they didn't know what happened to their loved one, their sister, their daughter, their loved one. Once we confirmed that, they were, I mean, they were thankful to know where she was, but sad to learn what had happened to her. They suspected that something like that had happened. They just could never prove it. And uh, so they, the family there, and, and namely when I, it's the sister, her name was Lucera Reyes, uh, who's just a sweet, humble uh, woman, wanted the remains of, of, their, of her sister to come back to Mexico. So logistically, that's, that's tough to work out, right? So I had to work with various entities here to make this happen. Um, as you can imagine, there's a pretty good cost incurred for travel and, and, and uh, everything. Uh, uh, the victim, Lena Reyes, had been, she was in a cemetery here in, in uh, the Salt Lake Valley and we knew where she was uh, so in the families for the family's request the sister's request they wanted to come and collect her remains and uh, and take her back home to Mexico and at their request they wanted to be able to come here and, and then um, have have her sister cremated and then take the remains back so it took about about two months to organize this because we identified Lena in November of 2018 and January of 2019, we were able to secure, you know, the visas, the travel, uh, get all the approvals to the U.S. consulates. So we were working with the Mexican government and our U.S. consulates, and and I'm really thankful to them because it's not an easy thing to do. Um, her sister traveled here. We uh, had to do various things with with uh, you know the, the the health department here in Utah to for the death certificate and next of kin and. And uh, it took quite a bit of, of effort. We took her to the, uh, the cemetery, where, um, where where Lena was had been buried. And there's some pretty neat photos. And on, on our, our DPS News website, there's photographs of of Lucero visiting um, her sister's uh, gravesite, which which was actually pretty emotional, as you can imagine. And for all of us that were really vested in this case, um, so she was able to visit that, spend the time that she needed to there. And once she was ready, then we worked with uh, uh, the mortuary to have, you know, her body that was uh, disinterred, and then and then uh, prepared, you know, uh, and, and you know the, the cremation process. And it took about a week or so to get to all of this. And so 
were able to put um, just have her sister here in Utah in a, in a motel. We just helped facilitate her for the week, and you know Utah Crime Victim Reparations paid for all this. Like it's incredible that they they paid to flip the bill for uh, all the travel, uh, all the the disinterment, the, more, the the cremation fees, everything, which was as you can imagine several thousand dollars. So it was really, really neat to see people come together uh, all, all over the place for this to happen, for this family to have closure. Um, and then at the, at the conclusion of her trip, she was able to take Lena's remains and then, and then uh, um, travel back to Mexico with, with them and, and take Lena home. So, and to me, and being in this job now for 23 years, uh, this is the most rewarding uh, thing I've ever experienced in my job. Uh, it, was, it was just incredible to see that and, and to see, uh, just to be able to, for this family to get closure, uh, it, it was, it was really, it was really pretty awesome to say the least. So, um, so that was really like, like you exactly are talking about these victims and their families is, uh, that was, it was huge, really huge. Wow. Oh, that's fantastic. I, I, when, when, you know, when this story broke, um, like I said, it's, it's a, a dual pronged story, you know, yeah, solving the case and, and figuring out who the, you know, the killer actually is, is, is one side of it. But on the other side, uh, which I think is, it, to me, it didn't get quite as much, uh, play as, um, again, the media doesn't really focus on, on the, the victim and the victim's family side of, as much as I think they should. Um, especially in, and you know, a lot of these shootings and things in the, in the bigger cities, but you know, I, it's, it's important that society knows that even if something horrible happens to you, that number one, guys like you will never stop until the, until, you know, the case is called is, is solved and, and justice is brought to the victim. And it's, you know, there's 200 and I think the last count that I saw was 230,000 homicides that are unsolved in the United States. And that number is obviously way too big. But uh, it's, it's also refreshing to know that there's enough professionals, enough guys like you that are out there that, um, and, and gals, of course, and, and kind of lumping everybody together. But um, just the, 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 of all the law enforcement that I've met all the way, all across the country, you guys just, the dedication that you do, uh, and, and especially in you're you're especially right now, you're probably in the most thankless job in anywhere in the country. And yet you still go to work every day and you dedicate to the community that you serve and to me, it's it's just fantastic, and and it's it's one of those one of those things that I and that's one of the reasons I do this podcast and the video cast is just because I, I think you guys deserve a bigger voice than what you get, and you get you deserve a lot more credit than what you get. And I know you don't want it, but uh, too bad you you uh, you have to have it. So thank you, thank you. I, appreciate, I do appreciate yeah. that. Thank you. Yeah. So no, that's a fantastic story, and I and I, I appreciate you sharing that with us. So so that's the first half of, of actually identifying uh, Lena and 
and uh, how she was discovered and all that. But then there's the other half of figuring out who actually killed her. Sure. And so one, if... Yeah. Go ahead and um, um, so so from there, you know, I, 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 this was a dual track, right? So once you discovered yeah. who the victim was, then that, like you said earlier, that, that kind of opened doors, right? Absolutely, it did. And so, you know, and, and we, we'd, you know, obviously our hope was to completely solve this um but these cases are really tough they're they're these cold cases are really hard to to close and to and to, to solve so after she was identified which we were really thankful for and and like we talked about so we turned our our sights kind of back to the evidence okay and and, and certainly the background of lena her husband edward people would come forward and talked about concerns about Edward and things that he'd, you know, said and done and the kind of person that he was. It definitely wasn't enough for us to call him a suspect, um, but it was certainly enough to make us look at him, right? So, and the more we learned, the more we're like, yeah, this is, this is the direction it was heading. But that's not enough to really call him a suspect or certainly not enough to close the case. Uh, and we could spend a lot of time going into all the details of, of, of that. But just suffice to say, there was there was a lot of circumstantial things that pointed toward toward Ed, her husband Edward. Thanks for joining us. Your attention today brings us one step closer to exposing and eliminating the evil that brings crime to our communities. Hit subscribe and share this episode. Together, we will bring justice to every victim.